This is Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Monday, March 21st. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson. Learning football with two spring practices in the book, uh, one of which unfortunately resulted in a significant knee injury for nose tackle Aiden Kanaina. What I was told was he would be out for the year, but of course it's very early in, in the process, but he is a 310 pounder. We'll talk about that in a minute, but I want to get you two guys to, to comment on what you saw in Thursday's practice. What, what was significant to you? What do you want to, uh, to share with our listeners? I mean, it was not, uh, not super revealing. Um, you know, O'Malley and I were up there probably doing body count stuff more than anything. Um, I think we both were impressed with Jadarian Price, just like shifty athlete, looks bigger. I think he's listed on the roster that handed out at 180, which he's way bigger than that. Um, you know, I the I watched some of the receivers. Um, you know, Lorenzo Styles continued. I he's to me far and away the best receiver on the team. Um you know, you, you watch his quickness and suddenness getting in and out of breaks. It's just, it's just at a different level. Um, you know, and then a, a little bit of, I think linebackers and, you know, running backs on top of that. Um, I'm not sure of any of the other early enrollees looked like massive to me, uh, other than maybe Josh Burnham. And then, uh, who's, who are your sort of, line leaders. Um, and the fact that Buckner was one of them was, was maybe the only significant one. Everyone else is exactly who you would expect it to be. But the fact that Buckner is being put forward in more of a leadership role, um, that's something worth noting too. Yeah. To, to piggyback on styles, I think the most important thing I saw to styles when you consider this is his first spring and he's a true sophomore that's barely started is he was correcting people on their technique and line drills. Like he's like, no, you got, he's like correcting fellow players. Like you have to stay on the line. This is, this is a receiving drill where you're running down the line and making the catch. You're trying to stay on the even plane. It's something that I saw from TJ Jones uh, when he was a freshman correcting Duval Kamara on something on his alignment. Look out. He was like, TJ Jones tells Kamara to move and Kamara moves. I'm like, that's not necessarily how this is supposed to go, but it's probably a good sign for the future. Um, so styles that's when I mean, we know he's mentally, involved and he's going to be one of the 10 top 10 players this year uh maris leofile back out there is striking to see to see the difference of having maris leofile out there even though they weren't aligned as a defense it is just a different body type and i thought it was interesting that marcus freeman brought up leofile saying i know what we had in him last year without saying what we lost in him last year he's he was the most striking guy out there and pete denarian price i think best point i can make is I saw Chris Tyree accelerate. Like I remember thinking, man, that guy's fast. This, this, just this Saturday, not when he was a freshman. And then Price went next. I was like, whoa, that looked just like Chris Tyree. And so that is what caught my eye about Price. Yeah, he's physically he's very impressive, and and that makes that that really gives some depth to that group back there. I wanted to talk about Al Golden because in talking to Tommy Reese on Saturday. And I know that Marcus Freeman brought this up as well, talking about working on red zone, like right from the start of practice. And Reese loves that idea because he says, you know, normally you get to, I like, do too. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, cool. you, get to, you get to period eight and period nine, and you're looking at your, your sheet. Well, what, what are we doing next? And you might kind of blow through it, but golden was the one that suggested, you know, and I think this is a, a might've been a, a, something that he picked up on the professional level. It's, Let's start on this and focus on this. And Reese brought this up too. I never thought about this. You know, you're in the first period of the first practice of the spring. You got guys running, you know, the length of the field. Next thing you know, somebody's pulling the hamstring. You work on red zone and you're working in limited space. You're focused on the specifics of that. I don't know. I just thought it was a good idea. And I, and I, I was impressed with Al Golden when we met him. And every time his name comes up, it sounds like it's a good suggestion um, as a way of doing things a little bit differently. And that's why when the when when people overreacted to the name of Al Golden when it was first suggested as a defensive coordinator, I thought, wow, that's I think that's a pretty good idea. This is a guy that's very diverse. I thought I always thought he was a Nordic fit, not that he earned the right to be the head coach at the at Notre Dame. But I like what I, I I like what I hear about him, 
And I think that he's going to make a huge difference. He certainly, I like the open-mindedness of Marcus Freeman. I know some people are concerned about him saying, I don't know this and I don't know that. That's just self-awareness, man. He's 36 years old and he's been a defensive coach his whole life and he was a defensive player. So I don't have any problem with any of those admissions uh, on, on his part. And I think the Notre Dame is going to benefit greatly from Al Golden. I like the the situational stuff from Golden. I'd be curious to see how that develops through spring practice. Um, I think Marcus referenced this on Saturday or, or Thursday about, you know, in the NFL, everything is like sub packages and third down. And like, it's not a lot of focus on first and second down. Like, and you got to focus on that too. And um, I think there's a line to walk between like the super situational stuff, drilling down on that and uh, maybe not getting as deep in the basics, but It'll be interesting to sort of see how that that gets balanced out because Golden will be, you know, more inclined to get into situational stuff, the things that worked and we were familiar to him in the NFL level. Yeah, I I, I think it's an enhancement, and that's what Marcus Freeman used as his word of he's he what he could do to enhance our defense. I mean, remember their last four defenses were like twelfth, thirteenth, thirteenth, and twelfth. They're they're pretty good. They could be situationally better, and situationally better can help you beat Clemson. It can help you beat USC at the end of the season. I think. I don't think they're going to be lost for fundamentals. I, I don't think that's going to be an issue just because they stay open with a finite part of practice. I thought it was a cool way to open the first practice was you, you can't contact each other uh, unless you're Jordan Botello who managed to hit somebody in a non-contact drill attempt, by the way, but uh, you, no contact, but it was a tackling drill. It was a leverage tackling drill to open practice in the spring and you're not allowed to hit, but there were still plenty of guys that lost leverage and it was a good teaching point. It was just a, it's a competitive way to start practice when you can't be overly competitive. Tello oblivious to the situation, huh? He just hit the night. He didn't lay him out, but it also wasn't his first rep. It was like his last rep. And he like makes contact. The guy goes down. All of a sudden you hear all these grand assistants. Hey, hey, hey. It was really pretty good. It was just funny because it was him. You know, it was, uh, it was a good moment. I, I want to, again, I want to talk about Cannon on the second here and his injury and the impact of that. But I, I did want to say this about the quarterbacks and, and um, you know, both are, both are engaging. Um, you know, I, I think especially Pine. Pine Pine has a lot of he has a lot of confidence in himself and his ability and 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 talking about his game and other people's game. He's extremely complimentary of Marcus Freeman and says that he's he's perfect, he's everything that we need, which is which is really good to hear. But when I think about the quarterback situation, <clears throat> I tell you what bothers me more than the inexperience, it's their size. <laughs> I mean that, that yeah. you you can you can change inexperience. You can become experienced. You can't change size. And those are two relatively small guys. And, you know, we saw Buckner have great difficulty getting through the season last year. He wasn't even hardly playing, uh, but, but he's a runner, you know, he's a runner and a passer and he's going to take hits in the pocket. So their size and staying healthy is what concerns me the most. I think they're both going to be competitive. I think they'll lead in their own way. Pine especially has that ability. It's just not Tyler Buckner's demeanor to command a group. So he has to learn that. And that's why, Pete, you mentioned about putting him in a leadership role. Tommy Reese is trying to force feed leadership upon him. And, and, he, and he came right out and said that was, you know, that and accuracy were the two things that he emphasized the most with Butner during, uh, during the winter. There is no doubt that he's got a lot to get caught up on as a, a third semester college student. And, you know, with the lack of, um, you know, playing experience, which I think Reese kind of shot down a little bit. Um, and I get that because like the experience he did have was at the Bishop school, which is pretty low level in terms of the competition. Um, but I would think after a year of, of playing a decent amount, he would get that back. But there's when Reese, I, you know, we can get into the quarterback competition and all that. I don't think there honestly is much of one from where I sit. And when Reese says Tyler Buckner clearly has the most upside, like that's what, that's what you need to know. Um, that's because like <clears throat> you mentioned the size, I, I actually don't look at Buckner and think like this is a smaller guy, but I do feel like that way with Drew Pine. Um, I mean, Buckner is pretty strong. Um, where so I, I don't know. No, he is. There's a, a lot yeah. for this guy to get caught up on. 
he's 215 pounds and he runs with power. I, I get that. I understand that. But I still think that, you know, with the, with the injuries he had in high school, and those can happen. It, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're small and weak. I get, yeah, I want to, I, I mean, he's 215 pounds. I realize that. I, I, Pine is the one that's small, but I'm, but there's got to be a concern about staying healthy, especially with the style of play yeah. um, within his game. Let's talk about K9. Irish Illustrated broke the story on Saturday that he suffered a torn ACL on Thursday, first practice of the spring. Tough break because he, it's a kid that had made progress. I mean, I know last spring uh, they were using him in yes. goal line situations, and I think they did a little bit during the fall as well. So, you know, that's a blow when you you, you lost Kurt Heinish, um, and and you know, you, I don't know what exactly the plans were with Howard Cross the third, but he has to stay at nose tackle now, correct? Yeah, there's a numbers game issue now, and I, I think for people that don't know much about K nine, I he was. Uh, well thought of by Mike Elston to the point where Mike Elston brought him up last year as a one, two, three nose tackle as a third nose tackle. Obviously they had Heinish starting back then um, with cross as number two. He was also brought up during the season where Mike Elston kind of admitted he made a mistake by not playing him more. And I think that happened because he got, you know, he really badly sprained his ankle during camp. You lose track of him. All of a sudden Notre Dame is in all close games when K and I is back. You're playing Toledo close, Purdue close, Wisconsin close, Cincinnati close, Virginia Tech close. You're not subbing in a guy at that point and probably had to after that. So Notre Dame is missing something here. And even without talent, they're missing something in numbers because they have now in the interior five guys. The sixth would be Rubio, who should be a promising if he if he ends up progressing. That's, that's good. Gabriel Rubio will be a fine sixth guy, but the sixth guy last year had 270 snaps. Yeah, and he's 6'5 and a half, 290, which is a little, I mean, it's tall for nose, obviously. Yeah, sorry, the fifth guy last year had 270 snaps, but the okay. sixth guy has to be involved, and that, that's, that would have been a healthy K&I night. And he was, yeah, we had originally heard defensive tackle for Rubio when he was learning last year, and he was hurt, and he had the elbow injury, but he was listed as nose in a kind of, inside the Goog uh, depth chart we saw, you know, but I mean, I think that was for numbers and now he has to be, I mean, clearly that's clearly where he is now. There's no, there's no choice. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it's a, it's a depth loss for sure. Yeah. Um, not depth there is huge. Like depth that is. Cause you're going to lose somebody else. That's you know, exactly right. That's exactly right. It, you know, it's, I, I think you would, a good season for Kaon and I and I would probably be the replace the guy that got hurt and then play 250 snaps for the whole season. Right. right. I mean, yeah, right. we're not talking about a, a first or a second team guy, but like your third team guy is valuable. So it's, it's a blow for him. Um, you know, I, and they don't defensive line. The recruiting is a little, little all over the map at that position. Um, so they may need a surprise in the younger class to to make overachieve and give them the quality depth this season. Jacob Lacey, of course, is an option. He was a nose tackle, but they but he prefers to be a defensive tackle. And I think that's where they prefer to have him. Jason Adamalola is out for the spring. So it's getting a little skimpy on the inside there. Jason Anye, not sure really where he is in his development. You got to assume he's a year away because we haven't heard a thing about him. Otherwise, you usually get an inkling about him, right? You get something like, hey, this guy's moving. He's yeah. improving. Yeah. But not that he's yeah. not improving, but they had to transform his body, make him bigger. And also, it's not easy to make a guy big and keep him, get him quicker. They had to make him bigger while getting him quicker. It's not the easiest thing for a freshman. Right. No doubt. Sounds like a nose tackle. Let's conclude segment one by talking a little bit Notre Dame men's basketball. They were in position to beat a very, very difficult Texas Tech team. Uh, to, to deal with, with their length, just their overall size and strength and their depth. And, and Mike Bray came out and his team was, I mean, he had a, he had a pretty darn good game plan. I thought Notre Dame defensively as overwhelming as Texas tech can be. Notre Dame did a lot of great things defensively. It's not Texas tech is not. If I, I felt like in our preview that we, accurately portrayed them that you know they're they're going to have trouble putting the ball in the basket as, as well so that was a lock under wasn't it Tim that, that yeah. game was a lock under um and they let it slip away and um Mike Bray put the basketball in Blake Wesley's hands and Blake Wesley his 
his awareness of game situations probably deteriorated as the season went on. And I know, like I see our message board, well, he's a freshman, he's a freshman. You've got to be a smarter basketball player than he was down the stretch. He was just flailing around and a couple turnovers. And then they did not, they did not shoot again. That was a key in the, in the, in the pregame analysis that Texas tech is not that good of a free throw shooting team. Notre Dame is Texas tech is not that good of a a three point shooting team. And Notre Dame is Notre Dame didn't hold up its end of the bargain at the free throw line either. I think you got people got to remember more than one thing could be true in this case, many things. Notre Dame is nowhere near the NCAA tournament without Blake Wesley. They might not be near the NIT tournament without Blake Wesley this year, to be honest with you. However, it was a very poor last 80 seconds of basketball. Much of that is on a pressing Wesley, who's not a freshman anymore. Come on, this is college basketball now. He's he's about as experienced as you get out there, a hole of the ball. But I honestly believe that I, when you have Trey Wirtz finally playing confidently and well, and other options, you can sit Wesley. You, not, it's hard to sit Wesley, but you can t- you can kind of take him out to talk to him about you are pressing. You are pressing too much, Blake. And I know they were frustrated when he was shooting the his his three point shot was way off in the tournament, and you could see coaches' reactions on the sideline on a couple he launched that just were flailing when they're getting towards the rim. And to his credit, he stopped doing that. It was a little one one three pointer too late, but he stopped doing it. He was going hard to the hole, trying to create something. It's just. It's an issue, Tim, you pointed out during the season, when you get to the hole as an 18-year-old freshman and there's great athletes waiting for you, Texas Tech has senior transfer athletes that are just as good as Blake West. It's called a jump stop, Tim. We learned it in high school. I know. It was, he had a bad 80 seconds. Um, I didn't think Mike Bray had a good 80 seconds either. Cormac Ryan cannot miss the front end of a one-on-one when you're playing the tournament of a lifetime. It's, it's a it hurt it hurt him not that this is a major excuse but it's a reason it did hurt him that they went to timeout when he got fouled as opposed to just going to the line and knocking down your two free throws that stinks no that doubt and player. i'm not look i'm not trying to place this all on blake wesley's shoulders no. I just, well his, his, his I, the bad 80 seconds i mean anybody I, wa- like everybody watching saw a bad 80 seconds that's two things are true it was a bad 80 seconds and blake wesley's a very good option normally at the end of the game well i mean it's interesting like late in the season blake wesley would come out in end of game situations. Um, so it's not, it's not like he had been in that situation all year and they're like, all right, we're going to ride with right. the guy who got Bray, us here at closing time. Brace said at the end in his post game that, you know, it was because they couldn't, they couldn't get post feeds anymore to Atkinson. And I can understand that because, you know, they take out Notre Dame actually caught a break because Bryson Williams is a really good player. Got picked up his second foul list and, seven minutes into the game, but they just, they go to the, um, the six, seven, 250 pounder behind him. What speaking of, and I, you know, we can talk, I, I spend three seconds talking about refs. I spent three seconds talking about umpires when I was coaching and three seconds in analyzing basketball football. 12 seconds this time, but to, yeah, but uh, you know, uh, and the, then we the, have to call the, on Gene Steratore to explain. Yeah. It, the, so. the, the, the surfer dude from out in San Diego that was, that was refereeing the game. The, the, I mean, that was a ridiculous flop warning on Lasheski. That was the 250 pound guy that barreled into him. Flop warning. There are many bad but calls. In that there game. are many bad calls, including yeah, grabbing but, the rim to dunk like it's the 1984 dunk contest. Because... No, yeah, no, no doubt about it. But I, I don't want to, <laughs> you know, I don't want to focus on the refs. Notre Dame had an opportunity to win the game. They didn't protect the basketball. They didn't hit free throws. It was a hell of a run. They had a strong finish to the end of the season. We have some questions in segment two that will address personnel for for next season, uh, and we'll talk about that in segment two. Burning up the boards. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. You're listening to segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider. It's called Burning Up the Boards. We start with a question from Wash ND with the loss of NK Nana. Does that affect Riley Mills moving to strong side defensive end? Or will Notre Dame rely on guys like Gabe Rubio, Jason Anye, um, and maybe Cross to fill the gap? Will Notre Dame take a look at the portal for any more tackles? First of all, how it impacts Riley Mills. 
we just think we were thinking that Mills would do a little cross training, help out at strong side defensive end while playing defensive tackle because Jason Adamiola is the starter there. So you get a, a junior year Riley Mills on the field more. That's a bonus. So maybe this slows that down because of bodies. Now, now is all of a sudden you're one, you're one down, even though it's the nose tackle position, you're one down and cross probably has to play nose. So you're one down at defensive tackle. It's a trickle down effect. I, I would still love to push the mills outside development to see what you can get there because like F, athletically with length and the ability to change direction um i'm not saying that would be wasted at a three technique because like he could be very effective there but they just don't i would rather have my better athlete outside and like if you had a choice between him and like let's say not Safa mensa like we had to put one of them a three technique and one at the end i'd almost rather move nana inside and have him be like more of a bull and then put mills outside but i don't i don't know what they're what they will do there, but I, I just, I would like to see Mills get a, a long run at the end and, and see what they got. Yeah. I'm, I mean, as it relates to that, I'm not sure Osafa Mensa has enough bulk to, to be a tackle, but I, you know, I don't know that I would have, after having seen what Myron Tiger Veloamosa did from moving to tackle to outside, I wonder if, and this is something we talked about during the season, Tim, all the time about, Riley Mills, you know, sometimes he's really aggressive. Sometimes he can't get off a block, it seems like, inside. Maybe you move him outside like you did MTA. And to what you're saying, Pete, you start to see that athleticism and just pure size. I mean, he's just a he's a, he's a big dude to begin with. So you probably have to, I don't know if they were, they were probably going to cross-train Mills anyway, but you probably have to do it a little bit more now. Uh, because of this injury, because of that, as you said, Tim, the trickle down effect with Rubio, Rubio um, almost definitely has to to see time and, and nose tackle. So I do think the portal is in play. I think the port, port exactly that was exactly what I was going to say. I think it's important that you get a and not a not a two hundred ninety pound nose tackle, a big a big body that you can stick a nose tackle. And a reserve is fine. A veteran reserve is fine. I know you're not going to go find a pro for necessarily, but veteran reserve is because we're talking 10 snaps a game. So a veteran reserve that you can count on to dig in and give, give snaps, I think is great. Speaking of veterans, CMU Penns fan, who do you see joining Avery Davis and Jarrett Patterson as captains? I thought this was a, it was a good question because I hadn't really thought about prior to that. And in recent years, there have been numerous candidates and I don't yeah. have a, yeah, I don't have a problem with, I think I did initially, but I don't have a problem with, you know, five, six, seven captains. If those guys, if you're captain material, it's, it's 2022. If you're captain material, there's, it doesn't matter really there. Maybe there's a limit at the top of the single digits, but, um, but my point being, there aren't a whole lot of guys that really necessarily jump out after Avery Davis and Jared Patterson. Michael Mayer definitely yes. is one of them. He is a captain. He'll be a captain. Um, <clears throat> Jason Adamalola, I think, has earned that right as well. Isaiah Foskey, not necessarily a, a, a captain personality per se, but he's probably earned that right. Jack Kaiser, everybody speaks highly of Jack Kaiser uh within the team so i would think he'd be a candidate i hate to take all the take all the names that you guys might be guessing bo bauer is a guy that that certainly um as as a fifth year senior in the way he approaches the game might be somebody to consider you have uh taken all the names so i'm sorry i knew knew once i got past (laughs) i knew i knew once i got past fosky that i was uh treading on your your territory here there's a bunch of backup safeties that could be a captain no um I mean, you know, another guy that might be named a captain, depending which way they go, because he does have a voice on the team is Michael Vincent, since he used all the other guys. But Michael Vincent is a respect. No, that's true. That's true. Um, and failing that, I, I guess the only guy we didn't mention is Josh Lug. Right. Back in the sixth year. Right. Uh, I don't know. Is Marcus Freeman going to have seven or eight like Brian Kelly did? Or oh, I don't again? know. Yeah. I, don't we, know. I mean, we asked him. He doesn't have an answer yet, no, which right. is fine. Um, yeah. but, I, but I do think like they need to have more guys step up. Marcus Freeman has spent a lot of time talking about leaders by example, how that's not what he wants. Um, guys need to st- 
stand up and talk, um, hold other people accountable. Like there is definitely a intentional, we need to have some, some time spent on leadership, what it looks like, how you act it. So whether they end up with four captains or six captains or eight captains, they are definitely putting work into that part of the program. I think you can read into the SWAT captains and see how much he needs some people to step up because most of them were tight were tandem. So you had 10 SWAT teams and you had about eight is at least seven, if not eight were in tandem. So they needed 17 guys to be their 10 SWAT captains. And it makes sense with Buckner and Pine. But other than that, I mean, that's just, that's a lot of guys. It is, but I think it speaks to the fact of what we said that, that the in recent years, you could you could easily Name start it, naming guys. Yeah, you could easily start naming guys. Michael you had Mayer. To cut captains. If you were us in August, we were trying right. to cut guys. From the right. Still, there was right. So many guys. Right. Exactly. Question from Larry Fay: Is the uptick in energy from that other guy to Marcus Freeman noticeable around the team? Is you talking about Brian Kelly? I believe so. Oh, okay. All right. I just want to make sure that yeah. we're talking about the right other guy. Yeah. I mean, after two spring practices uh no in recruiting yes but like that recruiting isn't like quote unquote around the team so i would anytime you would ask a a player when brian kelly was the head coach you know is this the right guy what do you think of great coach you know really enjoyed playing for him like they said all the right stuff so um like recruiting is really where the the proof is going to be. Um, right. That's where the Marcus Freeman energy, I think, will show itself more than like, wow, they're really having fun at the spring practice. Um, it's a that's a recruiting impact story. Marcus Freeman's more likable for the players and the fans because he's a more likable person in general. And he's a little cooler or a lot cooler, so that makes it more likable. I don't know if there's that much of a. I, I agree, with Pete. The best thing right now going on is that. Marcus Freeman has a good staff. He's learning along with them, and he is becoming heck of a recruiter. The better Brian players Ke- have a lot more energy than the bad players. I'll tell you that much. Brian Kelly's been gone for three plus months. Yeah, you know, I, I guess I. Spring is hard to evaluate energy and momentum. That's yeah. That's and look, I, I I wanted Marcus Freeman to be the head coach. I want Marcus Freeman to be the head coach. I I think he's the right guy for the moment. He's young and energetic and he's doing all these things. He's, I, I, I love it, but I'm, I'm, I'm past the good guy, bad guy thing here. I, the, the narrative of Brian Kelly's a bad guy. Marcus Freeman's a good guy. Notre Dame's going to, it's going to be better now. I, I, I just, I think we're setting ourselves up for the fall a little bit. If we continue to push that narrative three and a half months, is it really been that long? it has it's been i mean more it was december it was early well it was was december right and so we're four months we're near i mean it's more than three and a half months i I just brian kelly is 60 years old okay he come he's he's my generation he come he was coached the same way i was coached so in a lot of respects he coached the way he was coached and he's just from a different generation. You can't, and he did, did he adapt and adjust while well, the people at LSU might say is cause he's dancing around recruits, but, uh, <laughs> but I, I mean, I just, I, I I'm, I'm done with that narrative. It's over with Brian Kelly's long gone. And, and Pete, I agree with you in terms of recruiting. That's where the huge difference is. But if we want to continue to make Brian Kelly, the bad guy have at it, but you might be setting yourselves up for, for a fall a little bit because Brian Kelly is a hell of a football coach and won 54 games in five years. Next from Annie Davis. What do you make of both Reese and Freeman's comments regarding what they're looking for at QB? And that goes along with what do you feel is going to be the deciding factor in the quarterback battle this spring and fall? I do not have that person's handle. If you would like credit. Yeah, that's my fault. That's my fault. And I don't, I don't know what it is off the top of my head. Pete, Pete, why don't you go? Uh, you know, Freeman was asked about this and said, you know, the ability to get out of trouble, um, which he delineated between like a true dual threat, um, just the ability to move around in the pocket, um, take care of the ball. Uh, you know, Reese talked about having 
you know, making consistently good decisions being first before you can get into the physical parts with, you know, arm strength and speed and mobility, but Tyler Buckner is superior to Drew Pine in arm strength, speed, mobility, uh, experience. Uh, so I, th- I think that what they're looking for is Tyler Buckner. Um, they just need Tyler Buckner to to keep improving to be the guy. I, I agree that ultimately it's going to be Tyler Buckner. I don't know about experience. I mean, think about how much varsity action. I, I you're, you're talking about Notre just Dame snaps I, played I, at Notre yeah, Dame. I, I get that, but I mean, think about snaps played in his life. Drew Pine was a was he a four year starter? He was at least a three year starter. Was, he was yeah. a four year starter in high school. And, and Tyler Buckner barely played, but ultimately, you know, again, I think if you could come and this is so we say this so frequently, if you could combine the two quarterbacks, I think you would have the, the, the exactly the quarterback that they like. If you had drew pines, outgoing personality and leadership uh, in, in, in the body and the, the, the size of, of, of uh, Tyler Buckner, but you know, Tommy Reese said that he wants he needs Tyler Buckner to be more outspoken uh, and take on more of a leadership role. Well, I think one of the questions we asked in response to that was, um, you know, about Buckner's mental toughness. It's not, a, it's not a matter of mental toughness. It's about leading the troops. And I just don't think that that comes really naturally to him, but he's a really smart guy. I, I love both the guys. I mean, I love as far as personality and who they are as people, I think their heart is in the right place. I know Drew Pines is because he's, I mean, he's, he's totally sold on Notre Dame. He's a Notre Dame guy, uh, but you have two players, not one. You can't put one inside the other body and, and uh, um, you know, you don't have the best of the quarterback situation totally individually, but I would agree that Tyler Buckner is the guy that ultimately will, will get the job. Go Irish 3590. What are your realistic expectations for the offensive line this year relative to the Lions performance in 2021? I'm better by you know, I think I mean I, I, the, the two tackles are going to be outstanding, and a healthy Patterson gives you three really, really good football players. The question is what's going to happen at guard? Will it be Josh Luggett and Andrew Kristoffic? Will Andrew Kristoffic take the next step? Where will Harry Heastan bring out the best? in Josh Lug, which is why last week I said who will benefit the most from Harry Heastan. I thought it could be Josh Lug, considering his his past experience with 20 uh with 20 snap or 20 starting assignments. But Harry Heastan's the coach. They're going to be a much better coached offensive line. That will be the most improved unit on the team. I don't think it will be close. Uh, and I have very little concern about the guard play. They they have enough candidates to find two really good guards. Um, well, who the tackles are will be great. Whether it's Spindler, Lug, Christofik, um, you know, I'd, I'll be interested Car- to see Carmody, what happens with Carmody. Carmody. Yep. Carmody needs to get a lot bigger. Um, they they have enough candidates and a really good position coach, and that that position was just flat out bad last year yeah. for long stretches, it and it. Be- Way better than it was last year, as as the entire group, the whole group. They were the yeah. oh god, yeah. I don't, I don't disagree that in the country, <laughs> they were literally the worst in the country among any decent team for five to six weeks. That's amazing. That Notre Dame, it's absolutely incredible. Even though they had to play four tackles, they were the worst Power Five offensive line that won football games in the country, <laughs> up through Virginia Tech. And during Virginia Tech, when Jack Cohn couldn't stop getting sacked in the first quarter, they were awful. <laughs> so they have to be better. They're going to nope. be a lot better. Nobody's arguing with you how bad yeah. they were. I, I'm I'm just saying that. I'm Josh just saying Lug- we should take out relative to 2021. How about relative? And we should take out 2020 because they were so good. How about relative to 18 and 19 when they were a playoff contending team yeah. that did not have an all-time great line? No, that's I, what we're looking at. But I, I, I'm just saying, and I. Yeah. I mean, we all agree that Harry Heastan's a great coach. But Josh Lug was just a serviceable starter last year. Andrew Kostofik probably was- became a little bit better than that. And I'm probably underestimating Josh Lug. And I, think I shouldn't Christophic do that. But benefits from or, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to evaluate Kostofik this year when it's no longer pleasant surprise that helps save a bad line. Yeah. 
now it's a real evaluation yeah. of kind of like Josh Lugg. It was pleasant surprise when he filled in for Robert Hainsey the first time and played well. It, it should have become Josh Lugg, the 22 year old, that was going to be a really good right tackle. So we, we won't be evaluating anybody on pleasant surprise anymore on that front. No, that's very true. That's very true. Question from Kay Beasley. The loss of Aiden Cannana brought a reminder how injuries can impact your roster. Who would be your vote for indispensable personnel? Maybe not talent, but more because of the depth behind them. I mean, I can go talent too and go with Michael Mayer. Is yes, that's a player in this offense. That would be the first. They won the game without him last year, but uh, I would go Michael Mayer. I don't know who's... I mean, I guess they just lost a nose tackle. So it was Jason Adamiola, number two. No, it's probably still Isaiah Foskey, number two. These are just the three best players on the team. I'm just naming right now. And maybe the fourth is already sure. here in Jarrett Patterson. Yeah. yeah it's, those it's, are four. Pat, those are. Yeah. Patterson would be two. Uh, yeah. Foskey would be one. Um, they already lost number two. Last year, they lost number one at midseason. And the defense actually held us together okay. Um, so, it you know, I think. The indispensable thing that O'Malley does is is so much based on who's behind you, um, as much as it is how good you are. Um, and, and you know, Michael Mayer is so good, and the guys behind him like are fine, but are not so so good. So Mayer would Mayer would be, I think Mayer would probably be number one because I think Justin Adamalola is superior to Kevin Bauman or Mitchell Evans. Okay, yeah. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of things. Well, you, you certainly don't want to go another season without Blake Fisher playing. And we, we know how good Joe Alt's going to be. So yeah, those two call. guys are good those call. two guys are indispensable. Um, Howard Cross, Cam Hart. You know, here in Cam Hart, here's a guy on the rise, now coming off of an injury, uh, with complete questions at the, you know, beyond him. And and probably, probably Brandon Joseph. Yeah, at least there's five guys. There are four guys there that could go play. But you're right. That would that I mean, we start getting into what are you fighting for? Are you fighting for a playoff berth 11 and 1? Are you fighting for a quality season? Like what's what's the record if Tyler Buckner gets hurt in August? <laughs> he's how's he he's not going to get hurt. They're not going to hit him in August. How's he going to get hurt? Okay, let's say he gets hurt wait, in Columbus. Wait, they're, no, wait, they're, they're gonna hit him in early September in Columbus. I'm knocking on wood as I say that. Yeah, I think we, we all happen. just watch somebody blow out his Achilles at a pro day, right? Like <laughs> right. I just mean like all of a sudden that quarterback position now has what I believe to be an ideal reserve and freshman that you do not want to put out there if you're trying to beat California at home. Not Stanford or USC or Clemson, but California at home. Yeah. If you had to go with Steve Angeli to start the year with an all new wide receiver core, right? Yeah, no, I agree. It's Question really from find one, two punch until one of them is not there. Yeah. And that's why the indispensable question is, is multi-layered. It takes yes. into account. It takes into account. And we're usually Kyle wrong. <laughs> they usually yeah. win. It. Kyle Hamilton goes down as Pete points out and they don't give up any touchdowns through the year. Now, obviously it was the opponents, but and he would have helped yeah. in the bowl game, but yeah. Kyle I Hamilton was going to say down. they, they yeah. sure as hell missed him against Oklahoma state. Yeah, they did. They did. They did indeed. <laughs> and we, we knew the type of competition they were facing in November last year too. So a uh, question from CB wonder 81, any updates on Ocidia Kwanu? I heard he's making moves to get on the field this year as a Viper. He hasn't been in pads yet, but um, he looked pretty good Thursday. Yeah, I hadn't heard anything about Viper. Um, if you figure <laughs> Viper is Bosky and at least part-time Justin Adamiola. Um, and probably well, that's, where, that's, where, that's where he was projected when he suffered the injury last year. Yes, he was. I mean, he's a Viper, but I'm saying I hadn't heard about moves of him of him playing. Yeah, I have. I haven't either. No. He hasn't been in pads yet. I do think he's, he's would, looked good in a uniform for years. Right. He, he looked and he was moving well. Like he, uh, he, he's been out, he missed a whole year. Um, and he was running around with light. He was, we couldn't figure out what position he was with Pete and I were kind of looking down. Um, and we figured out cause he didn't go with linebackers. He didn't go with Viper and neither did Batello. It's cause they did a circuit of special teams to start. And wow. I think they're looking at some of those athletes as some core special teams guys. Cause he went through a whole circuit of causing fumbles, picking up fumbles, doing all that. And he really didn't rep with, 
I didn't see him rep with the defensive line, but I didn't see Botello rep with either the defensive line or the linebackers. I think it was just we saw a brief glimpse of those guys. How do you guys think they're going to use Botello? Uh, package linebacker and special teams. That's I would agree. Yeah, I, I don't think he comes off the edge well. He does not. We I think we saw we saw that in last spring. I I I, I think a a second level. Pardon me. Yeah. He attacks well, just not off the edge. If that right. makes sense, somehow yeah. when you're, they've got it, man. They've got to try to find a role for him. And oh, he's a good athlete. But, out there. but let me let me let me rephrase that. He needs to find a role for himself. That's it's better. not it's it's Batello. It's not the coaching staff that's remiss. Batello has got to settle into a, a a position that befits his abilities the best they definitely want him out there because as you saw marcus freeman started him against wisconsin when he came up with a special package to stop wisconsin right. offense that was you you're like look this guy's mm -hmm. in it. this is what this guy can do let's get him to do it and he played well except you saw the mistake like you see the mistake yep. when you got a yep. guy lose or he just got to play more to yeah yep. question from nd from nj3 any updates on dante moore and carnell tate in the recruiting class I think that they will get Dante Moore, and I think that Ohio State will get Carnell Tate. I like half that's what I got for you. Yeah, I mean, I I think they'll get Dante Moore. I don't know, Marcus Freeman. I have more faith right now than I. Uh, I have more. I have more logical belief than I would have ever had at this point last season in a recruiting battle like that. But I would put a lot more on Dante Moore. I wouldn't yeah. put money on the other. I wouldn't put money on the other one. I just say, yeah, Pete, I think I'm going to go the other way because it sounds better than yours. So. <laughs> I too think that they'll get Dante Moore and that Carnell Tate will go to Ohio State. Question from ZVH842PV6S1 or more commonly known as Margaret Mahoney. What players do you expect to leave Notre Dame basketball this offseason and what players do you expect to stay? Okay, expect Hub to not be with the team next year. And to a lesser extent, Trey Wirtz, because as Priester has pointed out, I think he just wants play more playing time. And losing Hub and bringing in J.J. Starling doesn't give you any more playing time, right? Mm -hmm. um, Dane Goodwin will be back, most likely. Cormac Ryan said he would be back. I don't see why that would change. Also, Goodwin and Ryan would – they're not going to transfer. They would be choosing to go to Europe, right? That's a – it's not something your Goodwin or Ryan seems like you would want to do at this point to come back and especially with the uptick in their careers in learning basketball, why would you not return? So the question is Lashesky, right? Yeah, it is. Well, and, and Atkinson, which they don't really have any, they don't have control over. I think they'll, I, I mean, I think Goodwin and Ryan are locks to come back. Yes. Yeah. Um, I don't see why Lashesky would go play in Europe as opposed to coming yeah, back. I don't see. Here's the thing about Lashesky. He's he finally was having fun. I mean, the the level well after, he yeah, was he playing was. well, the level of intensity and aggression that he overall showed that that Nate Lashewski looked like he was having fun playing basketball for Notre Dame for the first time. Yeah, that's a fair statement. He after he got injured and went to the bench. So obviously the first game back, he you know wasn't effective. But but since that point, Nate Lashewski had a good final three weeks including tournaments like he did any and he hunted his shot he hunted his yeah. shot in the tournament which yeah, when he when he got the ball and he was open you thought it was going in yes. which i'm not sure that you felt that way for the last three years no because yeah. he yeah. he didn't he wasn't sure whether he should shoot or not that yeah. texas tech he did not have a great day but he was looking for his shot I mean, yes. yeah those are good shots he took like yes uh hub won't be back i i just don't have any faith that the thing with the ivy league is going to work out with atkinson so, so they we have, have to go on the podcast mike Are bray we, we talked on the podcast about what mike bray said um maybe i can quickly do it about the ivy league thing like everyone just thinks look it's fair to give him another year he didn't get to play everybody else in 2020 gets another year so bray's point was the ivy league's point is if we make everybody eligible that did not play because the Ivy league did not play the sport that year. If we make everybody eligible, the Ivy league will get totally pilfered by everyone. We'll just take their players. So Bray's argument is the 2020 seniors that lost a last year should be allowed to play another year. I, I completely agree with that. 
And I think the <laughs> Ivy League, I think the Ivy, you know, it's, and I'm not just saying that because Norton gets Atkinson back, although it's, it's a big boost, but I mean, that just makes sense. Yes. And someone right now is listening. Yeah. Who wants all these Ivy League players? Well, Delaware wants all these good Ivy League players. We're not, it doesn't have to be North Carolina that's taking your players. Right. You lose your player, you lose your player. Right, right. Don't care where uh, I, I do. I mean, what I was told was that Wurtz would want more playing time. And just because he played a good game the other night. Right. Doesn't mean he never Wirtz... looked like he wanted to be out there in the last three weeks until last night. There's a lot of truth to that. Now that's his body language. That, sure. That's who he is. But, but, but every coach wants somebody that has better body language than that. I would like Trey Wirtz to come back. Cause I think Notre Dame could use some more depth and he's a, pretty good basketball player and could help them. Yeah. But did you know that Trey Wirtz did not hit a two point basket since February 12th? And the reason for that is he was not being aggressive enough as a basketball player to attempt to hit a two point basket. He either scored yeah. three or zero every game, except for Georgia tech. He hit three threes and didn't shoot a two. Every game since the 12th, three or zero a nine point game. Yesterday, he looked like a basketball player that could help a good team win. Yeah. And his, He's he's a hell of a long distance shooter. Yeah, and against Kentucky, he was on the floor at the end of the game. He was a player that they relied on. Then he got hurt, and it, it wasn't yeah. the injury that was stopping him from driving. It was right, right, lack of aggression. A couple more basketball questions from Hayden Adam. How on earth did Mike Bray not get Jaden Ivy to come to Notre Dame? <laughs> Tim, you start that. Yeah, I mean it's pretty layered, right? It's a it's a it's a layered answer. There there are there are layers. That the the word from the sources are that Mike Bray wanted to allow him to spread his wings and he couldn't do that at Notre Dame. I would maybe just not allow the player to spread his wings and try to allow him to spread his wings at Notre Dame if I were Mike Bray, because it is the collection of talented fits, and Jaden Ivey would have been a talented fit that could have spread his wings at Notre Dame as well. I heard I, that when I was told that, I didn't want to look. <laughs> I didn't want to listen anymore to what was being told. Well, me when I it, could, could you be more specific about what you mean by spread his wings? Like he needed to get out from the shadow of his mom coaching there. And he needed to okay. Need okay. Notre Dame I didn't know up. if you meant on the court or. No, I think off the court and yeah, away from home and go spin. I mean, look, it's, listen, it's worked out great for Jaden Ivey. So maybe that notion is not that crazy. Pete, do you have any perspective on that? I mean, just that Matt Painter was more aggressive than Mike Bray. Um, I think that's you read the 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 accounts of Jade Navy's recruitment through Jade Ivy, which was you know a little bit self selective because he's going to Purdue and he's going to talk up how great Purdue is, but yeah. you know this the the anecdotes he gives about how hard Painter came after him are are noticeable, um, and I think that when you talk to JJ Starling, the anecdotes he gives about how hard Bray came after him are noticeable. So I think that's that would be fair to say that was. Things really dipped with Notre Dame recruiting at that time. Yes. Um, and it wasn't, it's not, it's not like Notre Dame signed a banger class and just missed on Jade and Ivy. That was a real trough in the incoming talent. And it, it wasn't just down to that one player. I, I agree with everything that you said. Purdue is a better program right now and has been. I think Matt Painter's a hell of a basketball coach. Um, you know, and, Nord, and the Notre Dame program was down. They were losing. They were in the and midst the of the recruiting was worse than the program. I, I, yes. Yeah. I, you know, I think I, I, I think all, all of that is true. So I think we covered the gamut as to why um, Jaden Ivey didn't come to Notre Dame. And so we'll wrap up with a question from Irish from A2. Do you think there is a possibility that Mike Bray retires after this season? No. Like zero. Does that, like, does that mean like the season had ended no, I think, night? Means, I think he means after next year, but it's oh, okay. still very it, limited I, I read it as this year. That's well, I, yeah, I read it as the season ended yesterday. Yeah. That's what I, well, let's, okay, that well, okay. Let's answer no, both that ways. Answers, no, that answer's there, no. There's, there's, he's not retired. Well, I not mean, leaving, I would like anything, anything is possible. He's not leaving the money on the table. He's not retiring right now. He's his con. He still has a contract for Three more years, three more years. 2025, I believe. Right. right. So that, so that, not that that is a limiting factor, uh, really in this day and age. I think he, I mean, he'll coach that out at a minimum. I think he'll probably coach that out is the way I I think it. I think it's just hard to project for three years uh, for, for a, for a 
guy that's older than me. Good Lord. Um, he clearly, clearly rather coach JJ Starling, Blake Wesley, Dane Goodwood, Cormac Ryan, and some grad transfers than retire. Right. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> like Mar- Maryland filled. I realized that was like a big message board buzz thing. Um, they have a head coach now. So I don't, you know, it's like, I don't see him leaving for another college job, which is something I said about somebody else about four months ago. Um, <laughs> for sure. so. Well, that's why you can never say never. Could he yeah. But anybody that participated in the post-game press conference with, with Mike Bray last night, that sure as hell did not sound like a guy that's on the verge of retiring. And as far as would he retire after next year, how do you project something like that? It's like, I could say, see- could you see like, okay, let, let's say in a hypothetical world, Atkinson gets a waiver, comes back. Starling comes in. He's everything we think he can be. Wesley comes back, figures some things out. He has a Jaden Ivy like sophomore year. Notre Dame goes to the final four at that point. Or even the lead eight, even the lead eight. Yeah. I could, I could see Bray walking away on a high, um, but I don't see him walking away in frustration. Yeah. I, you know, I don't like, it's like, I, I, a lot of people have said um, Blake Wesley needs two more years. Well, based upon <laughs> the inconsistency of the way he played during his freshman year, it looks that way now. But Jaden Ivey, I, I, you know, Jaden Ivey didn't have a great freshman year either and took a massive jump up this season. So Blake I, you Wesley know, I, needs one more year as much as anybody in the country. He, pro- he probably he does. To. I bet he doesn't need to. I think he just needs the one and he will be just fine. He could benefit from two. He could become a better jump shooter. He could become a real shooter. Do you, you think his three-point shot's going to improve? No, I, I'm I, not arguing. I think he'll be good enough to leave. I think he'll be good enough to go pro after next year. Uh, we'll have I, to argue. I don't even know how the hell, how do we, how do we project something? I don't even know how we, pro- I, I've been analyzing athletes my whole life. How do you, just how do we project that? He was in the conversation earlier in the year before they found his flaws, and now he has a year to work on those flaws. Does that kind of make – like the NBA wants his potential, not – the NBA doesn't want his polish that Dane Goodwin has. They want Blake Wesley's potential. Right. He's, he's, he's got the – he's got – he's loaded with the stuff that's uncoachable. I, I totally Athleticism, agree. Athleticism, all that good a, stuff. And he's a 25% shooter from three-point range. He's going to improve he that. He is going to work on the stuff that's coachable. And then you'll have both things happening next year. Well, I just got, we're not arguing he's going to be a good NBA first. Year. And on that note, Tim O'Malley is breaking up, and that gives us a <laughs> not with us the feed from Tim O'Malley is breaking up. So we are going to great timing, great timing. We're going to end uh, Irish Illustrated Insider today. We have pro, there's pro day on Friday, and we don't have access to Notre Dame football on Thursday, other than interviews. So for now, our our plan for next week is a podcast on Monday and Friday, Uh, but we're going to skip the second one this week without further access. And um, that's it today for Irish Illustrated Insider. Thanks for joining us.